You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and SolarAy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach, ITK analyst. David, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Giles. And trust all our listeners are well as well in this busy time of the year. It is a busy time of the year and so much going on. But look, our main focus of this episode is an interview that we have got with AGL CEO Brett Redman. And um, David, congratulations um, to you. You did a lot of work um, trying to obtain this interview and um, we did get it. Now, unfortunately, due to the capriciousness of corporate firewalls, we weren't able to record it in the normal fashion. So... You trotted off to their office and sat down with the uh, CEO, Brett Redman, and uh, this is what he's got to say. Brett, uh, thanks very much for uh, agreeing to uh, join the Energy Insiders podcast. You're the chief executive of AGL, recently appointed. I guess I've been uh, covering um, AGL since uh, one way or another, or taking interest in it since Len Bleasel uh, was CEO, which wasn't yesterday. And the company's been on a long uh, journey since then. Um, I wonder what you thought you saw as the challenges um, uh, when, as you having been CFO for five years, uh, of, how, of how you see it. Well, um, thanks very much, David, for the chance to uh, come on to the podcast. I think uh, maybe if I step right back and some of the stuff I talked to the board about too when I was pitching for the role, um, what really interests me or what really motivates me in coming into the job is we're right in the middle of this massive transition. So as a country, some of the biggest issues that we've got right now are around energy. So the cost of energy, the supply of energy, the type of energy, the environmental impact of energy. Um, These are massive, massive issues that are debated on the front page of the paper. And I find it personally fascinating and motivating to feel like I'm in the middle of all of that and able to make a difference as this country goes through that huge transition. So a lot of what I'm thinking about, you know, is not so much how we trade day to day, although, you know, there are days when I do pay a lot of attention. Uh, Some of the hot weather days recently are good examples. But I'm thinking a lot about, you know, how do we steer AGL as part of the Australian economy through this grand transition? So I looked at your uh, corporate mantra that you've produced, um, and I, um, I think uh, grow, transform, and social license. I must say, in, uh, once upon a time, social license would have been regarded as a bit of a, if I could say it, a, a pussy objective for a CEO. Oh, yep. But uh, it's uh, at least in investment banking, but it's obviously moved right up the scale, and I, I personally think of it as very importantly. But it seems to me you've got a challenge, a heck of a challenge, if that's what you set yourself for as a goal, because in fact, uh, you know, AGL's not really growing, it's volumes at least, and uh, uh, it's difficult to transform uh, the black coal assets and brown coal assets into something else, and the social licence is pretty heavily debated. So, so they're absolutely the right objectives. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, you know, the... Um, um, maybe to start with social licence, I'll come back to growth and transformation, which have sort of been in our mantra for some time. What was really apparent during the time I spent as interim C- CEO, so the back end of last year, 2018, 
um, was the need to really get focused in this space. And, and I know it's kind of on trend for corporates right now, but um, the energy industry vies with the banking industry for the front page of the paper and not in a good way. Um, we're obviously central to a lot of the energy industry debate. And my view is um, we're, a, we're proudly 180 years old as a company. We're the second oldest company on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, I'd like to think we've got you know another 180 years in us and then some um, if we only focus on this year's profit um, and not the next 100 years to oversimplify it, um, we're, we're not going to last. And social licence is crucial where just about everything we want to do um, will be made easier um, if we have a greater degree of trust in the wider community. Um, many things that we don't want done to us um, will happen to us if we don't build greater trust in the greater community. So I'm spending tremendous amount of times or amount of time already with different stakeholders, um, you name it, politicians, regulators, customers, community groups, um, really trying to make sure first and foremost we're listening to what they're saying. And a lot of this is kind of basic stuff, listening to what they're saying and responding to what's concerning them. And secondly, really seeking to establish why it is AGL is a responsible manager um, for many of the assets in this economy as we go through that big transition I mentioned earlier. Um, growth and transformation, I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to it more, but growth, um, we, you know, we acknowledge, I acknowledge that um, many of the, the, um, the core products, if you like, of this company um, will go into decline. Um, we've risen on the back of a rising black price. We invested into it um, and, and that's proven, we took on a lot of risk, um, but that's proven a successful investment for the company. But black pricing will decline again, you know, as we see more investment in generation and the like and, and we'll fall with that. Rec price is the same. Uh, the closure of Liddell in a few years' time will pull out profit. Um, things like that mean um, we've got to find new sources of growth um, if we want to continue to be as significant and strong as we are. But more importantly, I believe in this market, there is the opportunity for that as well. So that's interesting. So right now, uh, for those people that uh, may not realise, AGL produces about a quarter of the electricity consumed in the NEM. It's something like uh, over 45 terawatt hours, I think. Uh, uh, from assets that essentially produce good cash flow while prices are high, although I noticed that maintenance capex is running at about 350 million a year for uh, over four years. It's quite a lot. Uh, and in when I turn to your balance sheet, I see that um, there's not much debt there, and by and large, capital expenditure in total uh, has been running around depreciation. If I look in the industry as a whole, Investment uh, in new generation is running at, say, five to six gigawatts a year and is expected to continue to do that for the next two or three years. A lot of facts here. About $10 billion a year. I mean, you're not going to be able to maintain a 25% share of t an industry that's investing at that rate, are you? I uh, don't know, but it's not a goal. So 25% uh, is just something that has fallen out of a series of good investments. Um, it can go up, it can go down. We're not back-solving to maintain that kind of market share. The, the way we think about it and um, the way I've been talking to our investors about it as well is um, when you think about growth in any business, um, it's really good to start with market need. Um, and we look at this market, if I pick on generation, and there are a number of other places in the market we can play as well, but if we pick on generation for the sake of discussion, 
for lack of a better number, um, the Finkel report estimated more than $400 billion worth of new investment was needed in grid-scale generation. Now, you can kind of debate, is that the right number? Is it up or down, up or down a bit? The point is, it's a boatload of investment that's needed. Mm. And sitting here as currently the largest private generator in the NEM, and historically the largest private developer or ASX-listed developer of renewable energy, um, I would back us to take a, a good chunk of what that investment might be. So what we then have to overlay it with then is the investment climate. So the market has a need. Mm. Um, now will the market provide the right signals, you know, the right revenue streams and the right risk levels to allow us to invest. And in the last few years, that's been patchy. It's been a very difficult environment to get your 20-year business cases up when you're struggling to forecast you know, another year um, in what might be happening in a policy sense in particular. So what you're seeing, therefore, is we begin by saying there's a big market need. We see that kind of level of investment potential in the market, not just the numbers you quoted, but a lot more is going to be needed. We see our natural place in all of that. We walk cautiously into it, making sure that we've got our risks right as we think about where we invest. I mean, that said, the investment is going in. I mean, uh, there is a, uh, about five to six gigawatts of new wind and solar every year for the next two or three years. I just heard yesterday the clean energy regulator put his hand on his heart and swear that that was what was going to happen. And I must say that accords with a lot of forecasts. There's kind of policy around, enough policy, I think, to take us towards 50% uh, renewable energy in the NEM. Uh, um, if you look at the state targets and the federal opposition target, um, and and high prices are high, which you know is is uh, encourages and incentivizes investment. In the end, you AGL uh, under previous CEOs has actually been under investing in the past few years relative to what everyone else is actually doing, and you do run the risk in some ways of cannibalising your existing profits. I mean, it's it's quite a difficult balancing act, isn't it? Again, um, I think, you know, there are a lot of numbers that are sort of bandied around in terms of how much investment's going in. I'd, I'd say, um, I would come back and say there is a lot more that the market needs. So th I would typify it or summarise it as some investment is happening, but, but the wave of investment that the market needs is not happening. Um, even, even within that, you know, we've got um, an active pipeline um, where we're developing about $1.9 billion worth of um, uh, mainly generation in the market, another $1.5 billion in feasibility. Um, I'd have to double-check my math on how many hundreds it's towards 1,000 megawatts, I think, of generation sort of buried in all of that. So we're certainly continuing to invest, and I don't particularly see it as we're being left behind in, in what's going on in the market. We're being judicious about where we're putting our capital. The really big licks of investment needed to not just put in renewables, but also the firming uh, that renewables are going to need to um, be successful, all of that is churning around at the starting line. Um, I think I'm right in saying... Um, the only dispatchable power plant being built right now is our gas-fired plant in Adelaide. I think that's um, right. So, so again, you know, we're leaning into the investment as the market allows for it. There's a lot more. So we're doing a 200-megawatt power plant in Adelaide. There's a lot more than 200 megawatts that's going to be needed in dispatchable power to make this market work. So we're leaning into all of that cautiously. I feel quite comfortable the last couple of years. We haven't spent a lot more because I think we could have got burnt. Um, the risk settings were wrong. As the risk settings get better aligned and confidence builds, again, you'll see us at the forefront of change. And, and do you just stay in with generation at the moment because that's what gets on the front page of the papers more than anything else as far as I can see? 
Do you see, as you think about it and have been thinking about it for a few years, that AGL's niche is more likely to be at the dispatchable firming end or do you see it as integrated or, I mean, where do you see the comparative advantage that you might either have or wish to develop? Um, a little bit all of the above, to be honest. Um, I, I read your report the other day, by the way. I thought it was a good one, David, on um, uh, why big companies like us should focus on dispatchable power. I think you're exactly right, because that's a role that big players can play in the market. And a company the size of AGL should do things that suit big players. Like we shouldn't try and do things that suit small players, you know, where, where you need to bring balance sheet. I, I do also see, uh, as well as that, we have a role to um, underpin development of renewable energy. We've gone off balance sheet for some time now that's been the right move. But even so, our offtakes, even though they're shorter than they used to be, are the things that are getting renewables built. Mm. So whether you could argue that's not us, but I would argue it is because without our contracts, you know, um, some of those big sites wouldn't be coming through. Um, and the next big wave of investment, um, uh, which sort of sits with that dispatchable power comment, is in the firming uh, that'll come with storage, and we're just beginning to get into all of that. So, can I can I ask just on that? Did you put anything into Angus Taylor's uh, um, um, request? We we did. So we made a submission around a grid scale battery up in Queensland. Uh, that was the one project we thought met the criteria. Mm. Um, there were, that we I bet were, that's just what he was looking for, but go on, sorry. Well, well large large companies like us were somewhat excluded um, in the process as a desire to, to support others, which, you know, that is what it is. So that was one we thought met the criteria, and um, so we put in a submission. We'll see what happens. Yes. It seems uh, uh, to me a very rushed process in getting bank finance. Someone like you could probably do it without having to get a lot of banks on board, but I'm not sure that everyone else uh, could. I, look, look, my comment in all of that, and I've made the same comments to those involved is uh, I, re I reflect on, for example, the solar flagships process, um, which you probably remember six or seven years ago, where we said the same thing at the time, you know, stick with big credible players like us because we can deliver projects. We know mm. how to build them, we know how to finance them, we know how to get it done. Um, the first round of that process went with others, um, where ultimately it collapsed. Um, it came back to us in the second round and we, we went on to build um, the first um, large-scale solar in the country because we know how to do it. I'd say the same with where government desires to get large-scale generation or generation built in this country in current rounds. Um, if that's the desire, I, I think we should be included in the discussion because we know how to do it. We have a track record of delivery. And of course, another big movement in Australia particularly is around distributed energy and um, that's been reflected at AGL in, if you like, a, a decline in per household consumption over, over the years, as it has with every big uh, uh, existing supplier. There's really only so many opportunities for any company to uh, find a way into that market or, or, I mean, you've had your virtual power plant in Adelaide, I mean, it's just as an experiment. Is, do you see a, a role for a, a big company like AGL in, in that space? Absolutely. Um, I think the most obvious role that we can play in the future is that orchestration element. So that's what we've been trialling over in um, Adelaide, where that's where you, you, you bring a new revenue stream or a new value stream to somebody's battery in the home, where if we can dip in and out of that battery to meet wider market needs, we can provide, whether it's subsidising the battery or however you work it out, we can provide extra value there. And that's another good example of where it's something you need a big player for, and therefore it's something that we can do well. 
Um, in our last results announcement a week or so ago, we launched that we were going to go heavily into residential batteries. Um, we're going to lean into what feels like where solar panels were 10 years ago. Um, batteries are now starting to take off initially with a lot of government subsidy and support. So we're going to lean right into that for two reasons. Um, one is just to simply go where our customers are going and support them. You know, we are a customer-led organisation. If our customers want these and they do, it polls very well. Um, we are going to be there supporting them through that change. The second reason, though, is we want to build capability. So we're going to take the learnings from Adelaide, we're going to expand that, and we um, aim to capture at least our market share or more of this emerging battery market. And whether we end up owning batteries or not or installing them or not, um, to me, the big thing we'll be doing is orchestrating the energy in them um, for the good of the, of the market and the stability of the market. That's something we can do well. And that's great. I want to say that, you know, I also take a strong interest in the uh, two-thirds of the electricity consumption that isn't in the household sector, uh, and which doesn't always make the front pages of yes. the paper so much. But There's a lot a, of grid scale still needed. There's a lot of AGL uh, uh, customers out there, and um, I've also got to have a disclosure that I do a little bit of work for Tomago uh, Aluminium on the side. I mean, do you, those guys worry all the time about the electricity price and staying competitive in Australia when coal prices are so high uh, and, and we're going through this transition. Uh, do you see that electricity prices for uh, electricity intensive businesses can remain competitive and what can AGL, what's your, how, how are you going to approach your role in that? So i come from a point of view where, where we worry about the same large customers. So Tomago is our largest customer. They're not a hedge, they're not a financial derivative, they're not a, a an arm's length financial discussion. Um, they are our largest customer and I worry a lot about their viability as I do about many of our large customer um, um, viability, not just in electricity but on the gas side as mm -hmm. well, which is a, sort of another topic. Um, we are doing everything we can to bring on um, efficient and affordable supply um, to meet those large customer needs. Um, a challenge that we've got as an economy is the days of um, $30 um, wholesale prices or down towards $30 wholesale prices of Never five, back. six, seven years aren't coming back because they were reflective of huge over overcapacity in the market. So there was no Nothing, no one was paying for capacity then and as old capacity wears out and has to be built new, you've got to pay for capacity again. And secondly, fuel costs at the time that were at prices that you'll never see again as well. You know, gas prices down around $2.50 a gigajoule, um, uh, coal prices much lower than today as well. So we have to find a way where firstly we stare into, I, I guess, the, the reality of what new build will cost and what fuel costs are. We need to do that as efficiently as we possibly can and then we need to help our customers um, either forecast properly where that's all going, find other ways to be energy efficient, to manage better. So again, this world of batteries and solar panels, energy management, we're leaning into all of that for our big customers as well. We're trying to think about how we can support them, um, use less power in their process, for example, because the cost of power is volume times price. We will do our best on price, but we can also help on volume. Um, and, and, and to keep our large customers viable because, as you say, they're a, they're a big part of the load in the system, but more importantly, they're a big part of the Australian economy. Well, they, well, they are. And I just uh, you mentioned coal prices several times. Uh, 
The ACCC report provided some evidence on what uh, New South Wales industry coal prices were. You provided a chart in your results showing that your contracts are gradually expiring and I, I suspect they have escalators in them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, it, it must be difficult. I mean, your, your coal costs are going to go up uh, probably closer to a double-digit rate rather than a single-digit rate over the next... Uh, in New South Wales over the next, and and I might also ask, just while I'm at it, historically, Lo Yang <laughs> was actually saw costs going up when the data was public at something like a seven percent rate overall. Uh, so I might just ask you about, and I can see maintenance capex, and and you've changed your cost out targets in the. I'm just wondering if you could talk about costs in yes. the thermal industry generally. <laughs> okay, so. Um you know, I, I suppose there's an underpinning thematic if you're running old plant, yeah. um, maintenance will be a big factor. Mm. So we've got some very old plant, we've got some old plant, and we've got some very old plant, so maintenance is definitely part of what we're doing. Um, to address the last comment last, we, we did make a very deliberate decision in the last six or so months to push a little bit more money into maintenance. Mm. Um, what I would say about that is um, that's about for every dollar we're putting in, we can see several dollars coming back, um, which is a win for our customers, win for us. More output, more stability for customers, uh, more output, more revenue for us. Um, everyone's a winner in that sense. So to me, in a hunt for value, um, I'm okay to spend a little more money if there's value for everybody there. Um, in terms of where costs are trending, um, in a fuel cost sense or a, or a coal cost sense, Loyang, of course, has its own brown coal reserves, so it's just cost of dig. Um, I'd say the, the pace of cost change there is not as bad as I agree when they used to publish results. It was running at something like that. I think we have pulled it back a little bit from that, but um, it's still a factor with old plant. Um, it's running above CPI there. Um, uh, up with Macquarie, the black coal plant, when we bought it, it came with some really good legacy black coal contracts, which we did say at the time um, were largely um, CPI linked rather than coal index linked. And so um, I think something in the order of 80 odd percent, 70 or 80 percent of the coal that's being used there um, is still coming from those legacy contracts and that'll be out into the mid 2020s. Um, there's a, the last 20 or 30% that we're buying there, mainly because Liddell has kept running. Um, uh, they are marginal decisions where we're buying marginal coal, um, generally in the area for better than what the index might be, um, and then selling it, if you like, into the marginal electricity market, and, and clearly that's profitable for us. But the, the bulk of the coal cost there for us is, is much more fixed back in sort of CPI-style indicators. Hmm. Um, and just on uh, gas, uh, we're going to have run out of time, I uh, think, in, in, in a minute. Um, I mean, I, 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 just briefly on gas, what, how do you see AGL's strategy in gas? Well, I guess Crib Point got delayed, uh, has been delayed. Um, why was it delayed? I wasn't quite clear on that myself. I mean, to me, and I think to a lot of analysts, it looks all importing gas looks like a kind of a grudge kind of a thing, if I can put it that way, rather than an easy return on investment style of thing. I think, well, in terms of it as a project, again, you start with that market need. Um, you know, what, what we're seeing in a forecasting sense, and you can just go to the AEMO forecast we put in our last pack, um, is the East Coast is going into a into shortage. Uh, and so we're really worried that in, a, in the next few years, the question won't be what's your price of gas, it's can you get gas. Yep. Um, and so 
Um, again, for our customers, um, we're not seeing a lot of new supplies coming on. Um, I believe Exxon is coming up dry in some of the wells it's trying to um, do in uh, Bass Strait, so that's a depleting reserve there. Onshore is, is greatly hampered in different states. So um, our, our way of trying to solve this for our customers is that import jetty. Mm. Um, and if you think about it in a, in a business case sense, it, it works um, uh, because it's mainly it mainly washes its face supplying winter gas in Victoria, where there's a big surge in demand with heating. And, we, and I expect, we haven't locked in any supply contracts, but I expect we'll source that out of the Northern Hemisphere summer, mm. um, where I presume LNG will trade a bit cheaper, we'll bring it down to the south, put it into the southern peak, if you like, in winter in Vic, and, and that, that works. The delay um, uh, has been the um, Victorian government wanted to put it through the environmental, put it to a vi- an environmental effects statement process. Um, look, we're very confident, you know, that this project will will pass with flying colours, if you like. Um, but it is a chance for us to talk to the community further and make sure that we've um, responded to their concerns and really explained what we're doing. It means that we think it's um, around the end of this calendar year, 2019, that we expect um, to get to an end result to that. And then post that, we can move to FID. Um, uh, look, I'm pretty confident that that project's going ahead. I come back to the market need that I'm seeing. Um, it really makes sense to me. Uh, and so I'd be quite surprised, assuming we, we pass the environmental um, process, I'm, I'd be very surprised if we didn't proceed. We are going as quickly as we can for our customers who need it. It does seem to me that you have a cost advantage with your pipeline contracts and all the gas relationships uh, over other people that might seek to be doing the same thing. But hey, uh, the market, everyone thinks they've got uh, advantages. Let, let, let me say, though, one other question I get asked a lot is, what happens if somebody else does an import facility? Does that wipe out you know, what you're doing? The quick answer to that is um, to address it and, and to be able to give an easy answer. I said to the team about six months ago, make your base case somebody else builds as well. Mm. So that's our base case, mm. and I still think the project stacks up. If somebody else builds, we talk to everybody. We're a trader in the market. We're happy to take off takes from anybody. If we can source gas for our customers, um, we're there ready to contract. Um, we're asking people, give us a price, uh, and, and we'll talk. And Brett, uh, we are coming to the end of this, but I just thought I might ask one question about policy, and I'm not quite sure how to phrase it. I was going to ask what policy would you like, and I'm sure the answer will be certainty, whatever it is, but certainty is something that is, doesn't happen in business of all industries. Lots of industries face uncertainty around policy one way or another. I guess, can I ask it, would you disagree with the view that we're going to be heading towards policy, which is... I guess, driving towards 50% renewables by 2030 when you look at the weight of policies and the way market prices, I mean, would, would you be surprised if renewables were 50% of the NEM by 2030? Can I ask it that way? I think um, I think a, a, a better way for me to answer it is to say, I think um, the last decade has been a debate um, of um, clean versus cheap. Um, clean is now the cheapest. Mm. In a world, therefore, where we're building a whole bunch of new generation, I think that the debate now becomes um, cheap versus reliable um, because clean is not necessarily reliable. You've got to work out your firming. So um, I firmly believe that over the next number of decades, um, and you can debate the timing, um, old coal will close. Um, it'll come to its natural end and close. When you build new, the cheapest form of new build is firmed renewables, um, gas-fired now, storage later. Um, that means that um, getting to a 50% renewables outcome in the market 
Um, whether it's 2030, 2028, 2032, to me, it's going to arrive. You know, it's just a little bit of a debate on exact timing, which doesn't fuss me too much. Um, we, are, we are going to get to that destination. So in the formulation of policy, I actually think, and I've articulated this to both sides of um, the House as well, I actually think it's less important to get hung up on whatever your um, renewables target is, um, so long as it's not too front-end loaded and too aggressive in forcing change you know, really quickly into the market. The market's naturally going there. Focus your policy on how to get um, dispatchable energy into the market to firm those renewables. Because as we know, once you get beyond 30%, certainly beyond 40%, um, it, it's, it's the issue of time-shifting renewable energy and firming renewable energy that's the really big one, not can you keep building it. And, and, and I think getting transmission built myself uh, is where some policy should be. And uh, as questions just keep coming, but I mean, the government, uh, the federal government has got a lot more into electricity in the past few years by acquiring Snowy and then sort of sitting on Snowy too, which is kind of a big investment for everyone in the industry. Uh, we're seeing the Queensland government putting a, que a clean energy uh, sort of generation, Genco together. I've heard seen some talk in New South Wales about, do you worry about uh, government sort of making the rules and also owning one of the teams in the competition? Look, I, I, I do worry about any um, government intervention in, in, in a pure market. Now, markets generally are never completely pure, but the more government intervenes, the more it makes it really hard, you know, for private capital to come in. And so I, I guess I, I, I might then perhaps start to finish the way I started. Um, the two things to think about here are, if the number's right, $400 billion worth of investment needed, you know, whatever it is, it's a massive number. Unless government wants to stump all that money up, from the taxpayer's purse, it needs to create clean markets to allow the wave of private capital that wants to get there, but the more it interferes, the harder it is for private capital to come in. And the second thing is, the more we focus on our social licence, um, the more our right to play and all that growth becomes more certain. Thanks very much, Brett. Uh, as, as I said, we could go on for hours, but that's, uh, I think, a great introduction to how you're going to be looking at, um, and I wish AGL and its investors and all of its stakeholders uh, uh, well over the next few years. My pleasure, David. Thank you. That was Brett Redmond, CEO of AGL. David, um, good job on that. You've seamlessly made the transition from utilities analyst to broadcast journalist. Uh, wonderful stuff. What, what, what sort of stood out for you from that, in that interview? Well, firstly, I'd like to say thanks to uh, AGL and the management team there for helping to make it possible. Uh, we've had an, a, a great number of guests on this podcast, and um, I've said it before and I'll say it again, but we are very grateful to all of their time, and AGL made their uh, podcast studio available to us and had a sound engineer with a PhD helping us uh, record the interview. So. Um, very but, grand. Uh, yes. Um, what did I make of it all? I think that... Uh, AGL, uh, um, has, as I said at the, in the interview, has got this uh, growth um, and a, a change and social license agenda, but those things are going to be difficult for it. Uh, that's what I think. And in the end, they'll probably end up um, maximising their cash flow to a certain extent out of the coal-fired stations. But you know what? Uh, Brett's a new CEO. Uh, I think he's um, um, very keen to get ahead and to make his mark. Um, and he's shown that through his fairly rapid rise in corporate ranks, and I expect he'll be working very hard uh, to make AGL relevant uh, to the electricity sector in Australia, um, just as he says. 
Yes, it's interesting. Look, I remember um, interviewing his predecessor, um, Andy Vasey, in um, 2015 at the Paris Climate Conference, and I put the question to him. I said, well, look, you know, you want to make money out of coal, you're seeing an exit from coal in the long term. Do you have visibility and sight over what that business model looks like in, a, say, a renewable, decentralised energy world? And he said, well, not really. Um, he got a bit upset when I reported on that. Um, do you get the sense that Brett Rittman has a clearer idea yet, or does anyone in the utility? industry have a clear idea yet of what that model looks like in a clean decentralized energy world um, no not really the the challenges remain getting a share of the uh, decentralized part and that's 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 a challenge for a company that's a big company with a focus on the center uh, and as far as the in front of the meter side of things go um, as Brett said and as I uh, think it'll be looking for the big projects and getting involved in those and so, um, as he pointed out, the only form of dispatchable generation actually being built right this very second is the gas-fired power station in South Australia, and AGL is doing that. Uh, there are 101 proposals out there for pumped hydro. Um, there are a few big batteries, but no, although the ones, the big batteries that have been done so far are very useful for frequency control and for short duration, but they don't really make a big impact on electricity prices mm. as we can see at the moment. So there's, there's still quite a lot of challenges to go. Um, um, and, and there we are. Yes, it was interesting to see. And we're not quite right about dispatchable generation. There are another couple of batteries being built, notably at the, um, at the uh, Invigen Wind Farm Lake Bonnie in South Australia, which is um, a reasonable size, but um, probably not big enough. I was really interested to note... Um, hear him talk in the, his interview with you um, about the big battery they've proposed in Queensland. Now, a couple of interesting things about that. Um, one, I found out a bit more information and found that it would be paired, of course, with Cooper's Gap Wind Farm, which is being nearly completed there, and it would be about 100 megawatt and 150 megawatt hours. So that's a bigger battery than the Tesla big battery in South Australia. And Cooper's Gap, of course, being an over 400 megawatt wind farm that AGL is currently building as part, uh, well, it's built, will operate, but it's been built by PAR the Powering Australia Renewable Fund. That's right. So what's interesting there is that this looks like a time-shifting um, exercise. Um, and there's the sort of the, um, the other added intrigue, the fact that, um, you know, this um, dispatchable generation thing that has been promoted by the coalition government, well, for all intents and purposes, people think it is to um, underwrite coal capacity. And they've kind of been caught out today um, or this week with the... Because um, the Greens... Um, um, tried to put an amendment through the big stick legislation, the one that would force the likes of AGL to divest of Liddell and, you know, if, if they wanted to close them, and said that any government funding for any new generation would have to have an emissions control, in this case about 62 or 620 grams per megawatt hour, which basically rules out coal. So um, the coalition has decided not to go ahead with that, having seen themselves lose one bit of legislation this week to Labor and the independents, didn't want to go through another loss um, certainly kind of confirms, though, that coal is the top of their mind with their underwriting um, deal, doesn't it? I went to a 100% uh, renewable energy seminar held down in Canberra this week, Giles. Uh, unfortunately, I had to um, bail out on that and really missed, only, only got to one third of it. But uh, I can tell you the mood in the room down there, and there was uh, a lot of people who think about this all day, every day uh, for their living, uh, is that um, um, decarbonisation has to happen at a rapid pace, that it can happen at a reasonably rapid pace, um, and that uh, they can bring corporate 
into energy intensive users along with them. But I think myself, um, you know, we have to be as one of the other things that I, I do agree with Brett with is there's a, only a certain pace that you can actually really go, even when you're really enthusiastic, without having um, disruption, disruptory costs to, to everyone. And I just think policy um, that uh, is aimed at transmission and at, at the um, um, using the renewable energy uh, for, for to be dispatchable, uh, that's, the, that's the new emerging area of policy and I hope, hope yeah. we can develop that. Well, there are a couple of interesting things there. One is that um, that 100% renewables thing that you went to, and I'm sorry I couldn't get there, um, hosted at the ANU um, by Andrew Blakers, amongst others. And Andrew Blakers copped a bit of flack with his report um, last week talking about how quickly we could get to 100% renewables. But I guess um, my impression of that report now, um, one, it kind of gave a bit of a misleading idea about how quickly we could reach the Paris climate targets. But one of the things that I did like about his report was the fact that you know people say well you can't do we can't rely on renewables because we can't store them quick enough and they're not going to bring down emissions enough and i think his report um outlined that you could install enough wind and solar um quickly enough and just keeping on the current rate of installations you get there by 2030 of course as you say you need the supporting infrastructure and it's interesting to see the speed with which people are now looking at it so i'm thinking about that new south australian new south wales transmission link now called energy connect proposed by electronet supported by transcript with the support of the sa government and aemo that looks like it's going to be fast track the energy security board today has asked for a um a new rule that would allow the regulator to treat it more quickly and the amc who usually takes six months to think about these things, have said yes in the same day. And um, so it all looks like it's moving a bit more quickly now, David. Uh, that's right, Giles. And uh, so those rules changes are very important. Funnily enough, just before Christmas, I wrote a note, and I must have about the transmission delays because there were three major projects in Naimo's um, ISP in stage one, which is some more transmission from New South Wales to Queensland, uh, some more transmission from Victoria to New South Wales, and fixing up... Uh, um, uh, the Victorian transmission, uh, they're in stage one before we get to the South Australia, New South Wales interconnector, and they're all running a year behind schedule according to the ESB, and rule changes are required to actually speed them up. So uh, we are going to run into transmission bottlenecks. Goodness knows we've said that on this podcast and on the Renew Economy webpages um, uh, enough times, uh, and I think the ESB recognises this, I think the federal opposition recognises this to an extent with their infrastructure fund. I think the the AEMC is the, for all intents and purposes, closely aligned with the ESB on this, and so we 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 are hopefully going to get some finally some progress on speeding up transmission. Um, and I, I do think it's it's very very important. Not everyone who listens to us disagrees with that, uh, but 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 I heard Andrew Blake say that he thought policy in the in, helping transmission was terribly important. So it's a boring topic, transmission, but uh, it takes a long time to build it. If you don't build enough transmission, you can't move the renewable energy around and it doesn't get built. Well, I am looking forward to sort of digging in um, to the various reports that they've done. There's about 40 different bits of document to wade through at some point or another, um, but it should be interesting to see. Um, they actually did bury the comparison with batteries and distributed generation and storage within the state. So it'll be interesting to see, but just, I guess ultimately... Just on that, sorry, just on that, a part of this note that I wrote, looking at Transgrid, Transgrid is the New South Wales transmission operator. They've already put up uh, a set of 
ways they think that the uh, New South Wales-Queensland transmission interconnector could be done. And they actually uh, proposed as one of their sort of feasible options a very large battery on the New South Wales side of things that would create a virtual interconnector between New South Wales and Queensland. And um, they put that up there as a serious thing that was technically possible whether it was the most cost effective, and I personally doubt very much whether it's what will actually get built. But it just shows that batteries, uh, you know, once you're in a transmission planning, planning document, it shows you your batteries are the real deal because that, 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 uh, the engineers that, that put those things together, uh, you know, they just don't bother with things that won't work. That's really interesting. I'd like to find out more about that. Um, anything else on the agenda before we wrap up and uh, look forward to next week? Well, you know, electricity prices, um, and I'm talking about generation prices, uh, remain a topic of concern uh, and they've been high. A record level in the fourth quarter um, in the first three months under the new Minister for Lowering Energy Prices, I might point out. <laughs> look, it, and, uh, uh, you know, you never hear Angus Taylor mention the um, ISP. You hardly ever hear him mention Naimo. He's running his own race, and I, I think that's the true disgrace in it all. Uh, you know, I would like to see some work that he's doing and showing how it fits in with what everyone else thinks. But I don't want to get into the political side of things. I want to point out that consumers need to keep... I think high electricity prices are good for lowering consumption. I think they produce new investment. But we have to be able to um, make sure that big business can, can be brought along on the ride. Absolutely. And on that note, I'm going to thank you very much, David. And uh, look, thank our sponsors as well, Solaray Energy and uh, Watt Watchers. Um, thank you there for, for their support. Please look at their products and support them and uh, in a way for supporting us. Um, David, we've got some really interesting interviews coming up over the next four few weeks. So I'm looking forward to those podcasts. And for those who haven't already listened to them, um, we've had some interesting um, interviews on our Driven podcast, which is uh, EV focused and uh, also Solar Insider. So, David, um, thanks again for a wonderful interview with Brett Redman from AGL and um, talk again soon. Yes, Giles. Thank you. And um, it's worth listening. And we do have to make the point again. It's only electricity that's seen any policy whatsoever. Some electric vehicle policy, it's beyond belief uh, how slow we are. But uh, that's for another time. It is indeed. Thanks for that and bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Watt Watchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs, accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatchers.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by SolarRay Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.